Welcome back to the Talk Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Elle Stanger. This is the Sex Work in History episode. I'm so excited to learn a ton. Our guest is L.K. Bertram. She's a history professor, and she is the founder of, on Instagram, at Sex Work History. Uh, she is going to out herself, so we're going to talk about that, uh, perhaps later if you would like. <laughs> <laughs> You can contact her. She runs Sex Work History and Social for Scholars. Is that a new page, the second one? It is, yeah. I wanted to teach other researchers that have good data that people want how to get it out there um, in a more effective way, yeah. Awesome. So welcome, L.K. Bertram. Thank you for being here. Oh, thanks for the invitation. I was so thrilled to uh, to get on this great podcast. So, Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah, I'm so thrilled that an account like yours exists because when I started using Instagram like 10 years ago or longer, um, there wasn't really anybody talking like about current sex work and like being supportive to current sex work and doing historical stuff. And usually the historical stuff I saw was through a very civilian lens. Um, so I feel like you're a real ally and I appreciate that and I love seeing it. Um so this episode will focus specifically on sex work in North America. Many of my listeners are from there, and this is your specialty. It sure is. It sure is. So how did you get started being a sex work historian? Well, you know, it's funny. It's actually, I grew up in a, a city where there's a lot of, um, a lot of problems with kind of the normalization of uh, racist and misogynist violence. And, you know, I, I saw a couple of things and they really stuck with me. And I started to think a lot about how history could help us create a different kind of a present and a different kind of future. And one day I was actually doing research on this other book. I wrote a book on Icelandic uh, immigration to North America because I'm Icelandic on my mom's side. Hmm. And I was in this, actually a mugshot archive in the basement of this police uh, academy. They just had like stacks and stacks of these boxes. And I started to go through the um, mugshots and there was all of these mugshots of madams and workers that had been arrested around the turn of the century. Hmm. And I just got this like really powerful feeling from those photographs and like the looks on their faces. And it was like seeing people that kind of like had answers for you. Mm. Um, but they weren't quite evident. So I started to think more and more about like, how could these people from the past actually really help us um, move forward in the future? So I started doing museum exhibits, I'd build these like little pop up exhibits in cities where there was like high levels of violence against sex workers. And I'd create these kind of like mini shrines that were like, really like old timey museums with like quilts and doilies and mm. feather hats and stuff. And the heroes were always the workers and the madams. And then, um, yeah, I do public history and I've always really loved digital stuff. So I started Sex Work History in 2018. And I, I run it actually with uh, a lot of guest contributors usually, uh, including uh, community members. And it's really a great way to kind of like, I don't know, like give people a chance to explore the themes in the history that speak to them and try to answer those kinds of questions that they also have about this history. And uh, yeah, I've been really fortunate to get a lot of support from people. And it's, it's been really kind of like 
really helpful to to mm-hmm. kind of learn about how much interest there is out there and how much better of a job scholars could do serving those kinds of audiences. Mm. So I'm really interested to hear what some of your observations have been or some things that you feel like you've learned, some of the answers that you've like maybe found from these ghosts of the last century, sex work ghosts. Um, And what was the Icelandic history book called? It's called The Viking Immigrants, Icelandic North Americans. And side note, Icelandic ghosts are a really big part of Icelandic culture. Hmm. Um, It's like an old, like Iceland converted to Christianity sort of technically, (laughs) but Hmm. maintained a lot of really old supernatural beliefs that were pre-Christian. And so, yeah, ghosts are like a really big part of the culture. And uh, they're Hmm. also kind of taken more seriously than they are in English culture. So I think that with Icelanders, it creates a different relationship to history and one that is like you kind of always see history as being more present in Icelandic culture than people do in English culture maybe sometimes so yeah and so I wrote some stuff on Icelandic ghosts and then I don't know it's just kind of it's also really served me in this project too Mm -hmm. I I mean ghosts are really they're our ancestors yeah so they know more than we do okay so um, something that came up recently, so we're we're talking mostly in the last century. I recently learned, and I'm going to try to do this justice, um, how I explain it. So I recently learned that from about 1699, 1700, to about the 1910s, mm-hmm. there was no official, I mean, there was no federal, but there was no official um, law against prostitution in America. It was individual to the states, but then in the turn of the century, that began to change and that there was kind of a movement against sex work, which had to do with the movements against so-called vice behaviors like drinking and gambling um, prostitution. Does that sound accurate to you? Yeah, there's there were some federal laws and I have to, I don't know American law super well or the history of American law so well, but um, there would be these technical laws on the books. And before the American Revolution, there would have been like British law also that would have mm. had like stuff to do with like body houses and things like that. Body this, houses. Yeah. <laughs> Is that? Oh, body. Oh, body. Sorry. B-A-W-D-Y. I was like, B-O-D-Y? How crude. Okay. <laughs> body. We're getting wild. Yeah, you're going <laughs> to... You got to get the awe in there. Also, um, English and- is a ridiculous <laughs> language that is inconsistent. And I'm lucky it's my first because it seems hard to try to learn. People do it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So British laws. Got it. Yeah. So there were laws, but really the like the police in a lot of these places were like, okay, sex work is going to exist and we need to decide if it's going to exist kind of on its own and just not be regulated at all, or if we're going to set up these sort of red light districts or create these kind of understandings with madams and workers, um, mm-hmm. and then run these sort of semi-legal, or like, de- in a way they were sort of, I don't know if you'd call that decriminalized, but permitted kind mm-hmm. of houses. And this mm-hmm. isn't some like beautiful idealistic story about the past, because it was mm-hmm. a really exploitative relationship. The police took a lot of the earnings of workers. Um, there was a lot of violence and exploitation and discrimination. 
Mm-hmm. But what um, like these cops basically throughout North America all agreed on was that you can't just um, outlaw prostitution and then expect it to go away or to be taken care of. <laughs> because yeah, no it shit. won't be. <laughs> yeah. 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 What happens when you make learn. something illegal? <laughs> Uh, my, I mean, my first thought, so in terms of what I have noticed from my, you know, compared to you, my scant readings of history and not just like American or North American, um, history, but it seems like there has been quite a huge variation in what is permitted or legalized in places around the world over time, back and forth, depending on who's in power and also how they decide to get involved so that they can benefit monetarily. Mm -hmm. It's like churches and police, you know, these registry systems where they're taking a lot of the earners' monies and acting like pimps, but that's how it was allowed to be. Yeah, definitely not an ideal situation. So I just want to say that um, what I've noticed over history and what is relevant today is when we're talking about sex workers, we want to have the least amount of controls on them by outside forces, civilians, organizations, law enforcement. It's just not safe. It becomes extortion. It does. And it's so dangerous the way that things are right now, because I mean, yeah, you're just you're set up basically to be exploited or exposed to disproportionate amounts of violence. Like it's just not it's not right. And that's mm-hmm. that's actually a lot of the reason why I do this work is because I can see that part of the way that we sort of normalize the present and these stupid narratives that like anti-prostitution laws help sex workers like Mm-hmm. They're they're broken records from 150 years ago, and hmm. I think that people have really tried to erase the history of sex work as a way to control it. And um, mm. the more that we know about the history, the the better equipped we are to make better choices. So, thank you for your work. I appreciate your support. Oh, thanks. Yeah, and something really relevant as we podcast here about this and talk about sex work. So, I was told, I think, just about a year ago that. Technology has often advanced like in media um, or maybe otherwise first due to porn or sex work. Uh, Do you know anything about how media and erotic labor has correlated? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that is such a huge, that's so true. And we see that in so many different things, like the biggest cultural movements, some like the biggest like fashion movements. Um, medical advances, sexual education, and the internet itself. These are all things that um, sex work economies have helped fund in part because um, they had capital to burn. Um, They could be really innovative in business with less risk in a way, like they could be more adventurous because they were already sort of on the out. So they were like, oh, what the hell? I'm going to try this out. Mm -hmm. Um, And also a lot of sex workers would like they could kind of like build in other kinds of access or like create other access points to power through like you know bribery their clients (laughs) (laughs) like all of this stuff like really it's no surprise that they are these giant hidden innovators in our history Mm -hmm. and the people who love us because sometimes sex workers fall in love with people in power or they hustle people in power and we can be benevolent forces Um, behind social change you know because we are manipulating the wallets thank you wallets thank you (laughs) thank you Um, yeah yeah, exactly okay so what are some examples like beta or vhs like does that apply 
Yeah, well, definitely uh, the internet, like the early internet, like a lot of the stuff that we see with like the rise, say, for example, like Zoom, um, mm. Zoom has like a direct genealogical link to the early cam cam girls of like the yeah. 1990s, like Jenny Cam, for example. Um, so these were the people that figured out, hey, you know what, we should be using these cameras to create really lucrative businesses. And they did. But they're like almost never credited and often like frequently mentioned in like a derisive way. Um, things like blogging, you know, um, mm -hmm. sex workers are some of the first bloggers. They made huge advances in e-commerce platforms. Like how do you, mm. how do you basically turn content on the internet into money in a bank account? Those are mm. all passageways that like sex workers basically created. Mm. And, uh, I, I know this one gal, her name is Mandy Goodhandy and she, she was a, a trans escort, um, in the nineties. And she just published her memoirs. They're called Call Me Lady. She like self-published mm. them. She's mm. really wonderful. Mm. And she told me that when she <laughs> was first making like suitcases full of cash, mm -hmm. she would go to all the banks in downtown Toronto to try to deposit her money. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember which one she went to first, but the people kind of looked at the money and called the manager and they're like, where did you get this money from? And she's like, from the internet. And the bank manager said, we don't do internet money. Wow. And she told oh him, she's like, God. you guys have to really look into this internet thing. Oh, my God. Cutting so edge. Like, yeah, so cutting edge. So lots of people like that hidden in the history that like haven't been really credited mm -hmm. um, and acknowledged. But they are definitely there and they definitely made huge a huge impact. The first couple things you said, um, webcam, blogging, and then e-commerce. I've done all of those, so I was like, yeah. <laughs> smirk, smirk, smirk. <laughs> um, Did you know that Civil War era soldiers could send away uh, mail order for mail order porn or nudes? Uh, there's a book called Sex and the Civil War, Soldiers, Pornography, and the Making of American Mor Morality mm -hmm. by Judith Ann Geisberg. And I seen some of the images and it's threesomes and all kinds of kinky stuff. I love that. Yeah, before the Comstock laws, you could just kind of like mail stuff all over <laughs> North America. Mm. I think like when we go back into the history of porn, though, it's so old. It's like one of the first things that people drew, really. Um, like you see <laughs> penises and boobies and stuff. Honestly, yeah. like it's even like today, like it. whenever I walk by like a penis on a sidewalk or something, I already, th I think about like stuff from like a thousand years ago. It's like, same. oh my gosh, it's the same. Even the design, it's still just like really kind of funny mm -hmm. and like sort mm -hmm. of comical, sort of graphic. There's like a mm -hmm. whole aesthetic tradition there that's very old. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, I, you know, like dick pics are folk art for sure. It's they how the people <laughs> communicate our oh emotions. Um, there's a series. I'm not a Reddit person. Reddit is a scary, scary place for my sensitive soul. But Fair. I was shown by a client um, through the sexting app that I actually use. Haha, -ha, technology. Um, <laughs> he sent me a screenshot. It was on some like Portland uh, Reddit. I'm in Portland, Oregon. Uh, and so there's a series of taggers that have popped up. So penis girl was the first one. And these aren't like dicks. This is like words actual, but penis girl. And then someone tagged vag boy is a newer one. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I think Confused Envy is the newest one. <laughs> so, you know, like 
like the these are the times this is the language these are like people want to be hurt and that includes like boobies and butts yeah um, common themes right yeah okay. getting back to the source you know exactly <laughs> <laughs> okay so i talked earlier about how uh something that i've noticed and kind of surprises me is how parts of the world have experienced cycles of criminalization or decrim or legalization of types of regulation of sex work so was sex work ever legal in north america hmm. good question um there's areas where it was there may have technically been laws on the book but they weren't enforced and that is i'd say when you look at the vast majority of red light districts in North American history, that's what those were. Where there technically mm. there was a law, but they weren't enforcing it. Hmm. And you know, there's lots of laws out there that are outdated that people just choose not to enforce, like laws about, you know, cleaning up your horse manure from your wagon and stuff like that. Like they're still there, <laughs> mm-hmm. but people are just like, that's from another time. Um, so yeah, like when we see this kind of crackdown and people pulling out these older laws and wanting to enforce them just because it's a law doesn't mean that it's necessarily good or applicable or or right for your time period Hmm. but yeah so in terms of the actual like the legal history it it depends on each city but generally speaking it's just about choosing to enforce or not to enforce fascinating so i'm looking at and i've pointed this out before because gray areas can be very scary um and also it doesn't give us a good idea historically of what was actually going on so the Oregon statute regarding prostitution. So ORS 167.007. Mm-hmm. Okay. So one, <laughs> a person commits the crime of prostitution if the person engages in or offers or agrees to engage in sexual conduct or sexual contact in return for a fee. This is literally what I've been doing as a stripper for like 13 years. Sexual conduct? Like, what is that? What is exactly. sexual conduct? <laughs> exactly. That is ridiculous. It's basically just wild? saying, it's just talking about people's, people existing in bodies that have genitalia. That's sexual conduct. Is walking <laughs> down the street with sexual organs. It's ridiculous. Right. But based yeah. on that definition alone, none of these clubs you think would be existing. I mean, they're protected by freedom of speech and its expression and its art. Mm-hmm. So I think that, I mean, that definitely gives a wide umbrella of protection. That's why the clubs are the way they are. But based off of this one statute, it seems like it would kind of void our ability to have those. Uh, Yeah. So I just thought that was interesting. I wanted to point that out. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so dangerous. Like we do need strong legal reforms and, and make sure that these are taken care of because, yeah, it just takes a shift like a change in the weather you know as we're experiencing Mm -hmm. right now in north america for people to Mm -hmm. turn around and start doing things that are really scary Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. so how has your experience been so you started the sex work history account on instagram in 2018 you said and then social for scholars is newer how has your experience been navigating social media and discussing these topics um sex work in history It's been really good because I built in protections at the very start so Mm. that I wouldn't ever, or I would try not to lose sleep over the accounts. And I, Mm. I, I I work right now actually on um, social media algorithms and how they treat different kinds of content. And I learned a lot about how they're built to be emotionally manipulative and to cause stress and emotional duress. So I was like, how can I, you know, do a good job of putting out content without maybe being so affected by the negative parts of these 
wow. these companies' algorithms. Yeah, that's really so mindful I did it, of you. Thanks. Yeah, I did it anonymously because I have a friend who, you know, she's one of these people that just got totally, basically like railroaded off the internet, basically by a misogynist who she challenged mm. online. And mm. I learned from her, and I learned from. Yeah, a lot of different people just watching how they did things. And mm-hmm. yeah, so I created the account anonymously. And then also it helped me um, whenever I wanted to have somebody on who, you know, might have something that would be considered illegal in their background or in what they're saying, like that there would be this anon- anonymity that would kind mm-hmm. of protect us and mm-hmm. without like infringing on our ability to speak. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's really like... served me. Yeah. And I just mm-hmm. keep it anonymous. I mean, I'm not. Like as a human being, like I don't know that I'm that interesting, <laughs> but I mean, yeah. the history I study sure is. <laughs> well, you always yeah. have that for dates. You're like, let's yeah. not talk about me, but let me tell you this interesting factoid about your local neighborhood. <laughs> um, exactly, exactly. We had a great time uh, talking before we started recording. I had to actually be like, oh wait, we should hit the record button. <laughs> um, so I appreciate your mindful work on these topics uh, and. Earlier, I commented, I said, I know what that's like. I personally don't, but I know what it's like hosting people who cannot be out or else they can't say what they want to share. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, definitely so important. Do you remember, this is one of the nice things I actually had about sex ed class. I don't know if you had this option, but the anonymous question box where like- Oh God. (laughs) I mean, I know, I know wild things like come out of that box, but that's how is because it's anonymous. So the teacher would like- yeah, and I've actually used that with adults, and some people are really delighted if they never th- did this before, but it's basically I give everybody a piece of paper or a digital link, and it's like, write something down, you know, it could like be the dog pooped on its head or whatever, but everybody, please just write <laughs> something down so we all wrote something, and then I'm going to go through them, and this way, we're all anonymous, because everybody wrote something, so no one knows who asked the embarrassing question that like half of us wanted to hear. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And I think it's like, it's a safe space. And I try to make it as much of a safe space as I can. And I also run it just like a classroom. So I teach Mm -hmm. um, at a university. And it's I actually have a class on on sex work history. So it felt really good to create um, just like that access for people online. It's like, you should have access to this data, you know, especially Mm -hmm. if you're a worker, this is your data. Um, and your legacy and your inheritance mm, seems very important. And so, yeah. And so in the comments and stuff, I kind of, I also run it like a classroom there. And it's like, I usually don't chime in unless people want something specifically. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I take like the criticisms they offer as just something that goes into like, yeah, I kind of run it almost like a museum too. And it's like, does that comment make the museum better? Does it make the mm. class better? Mm-hmm. And um like an example yeah. of a helpful comment might be, hey, the text isn't on the screen long enough or yeah. I can't see that color or something. This isn't real critiques I have of you. This is just stuff that like <laughs> is helpful for me if someone's like, I literally can't read what you posted. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing personal. Yeah. yeah. And then also like questions that the content might inspire for some people mm. that you didn't quite think of. And mm-hmm. just, mm-hmm. yeah, like letting it letting it be a class where you're mm-hmm. also learning too. Feedback is so helpful. Um, mm-hmm. So, and also, so on feedback, I was really moved. I was really moved to hear that you were moved by the episode with Nikki Gilliland, the sex work and discrimination episode. Yeah. Um, you wanted to talk about sex workers as frontline healthcare providers. Yes, yeah. let's do that. 
yeah, I, I listened to that episode and I just like, oh, it made me so angry, you know, hearing this woman that's done all these amazing things in her life, you know, saved so many people's lives, mm-hmm. um, is a parent, is like, and like someone who wants to contribute to the healthcare system, like all of these amazing qualities. And then to have these people come after her because she had a job when she was a teenager and then mm-hmm. a young, like, an adult, an, an adult like, teenager, yeah. an adult, yeah, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, yeah, retired when she was twenty-one. Yeah, I just found that so disgusting, and it really made me mad because um, it was healthcare. And one thing that I have learned quite a bit about is the powerful work that workers have done historically in healthcare. How many people they have saved? Um, how many? Yeah, like things that they've done that are not acknowledged. And so I found it particularly offensive that someone from mm. the healthcare industry would mm-hmm. do that. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, like I, I wrote this article, it's called The Other Little House, The Brothel as a Colonial Institution. And it's on the Journal of Social History's website, if anyone wants to take a look, it's, it's open access, it's free to read. Mm-hmm. And it just talks a, a little bit about how sex workers provided those kinds of services at a time when one of the biggest plagues actually affecting North American society that no one wanted to talk about was Mm. syphilis. And syphilis was a lethal disease and it really destroyed a lot of lives. Like we kind of laugh at it now, but man, like back in the day when there was no treatment, it was a death sentence for a lot of Mm -hmm. people and it was really Mm -hmm. bad. And a slow, painful one. Oh God, the worst. And like people would pass it to their kids, like in mm-hmm. utero, like really mm-hmm. quite cruel. So, Ravaging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so workers were like some of the only women that were trained to detect the disease, to offer the best treatment that they could. Like they were very much frontline healthcare workers in this pandemic. And hmm. they were so well versed in public health protocols that when the Spanish flu started in 1918 um, doctors actually started some doctors actually invited sex workers to work in the hospitals because as the nurses were getting sick there was Mm. no one to look after the people that who understood things like contagion and like Mm. barriers and barriers and (laughs) like all of these things but workers did and so yeah like there's there's no way to kind of like say how many people that workers have saved historically but it's a lot and there's a lot of stories there that I think deserve recognition. Mm, so this is called The Other Little House, The Brothel as a Colonial Institution on the Canadian Prairies, 1880-93 by L.K. Bertram. So published uh, March 26th of 2022. We'll put the link in the episode notes. So right now, let's take a break. Uh, this is the Sex Work in History episode with LK Bertram. Find me lstanger.com. You can find where I sell my porn. And no, please don't call me a blogger. I don't do that anymore. (laughs) I'm a podcaster, dang it. Thanks to you. Thanks to those of you who voted for uh, They Talk Sex podcast as the best of Portland podcast 2022. Go to your listening app. Please rate and review us because that helps more folks find us. Hey, 
Elle, where did you train to be a sex educator? I went to instituteforsexuality.com. If you do not need to be ASECT certified, you can take their shorter program. It's new. It's called Sweet Sexual Wellness Education and Enlightenment Training. It's about half the price of their regular program, and you can do it at your own pace because it's all on demand. You can take it online. You can take one learning path at a time to make it more manageable financially. Go to instituteforsexuality.com and click on On Demand Programs. You can check out their other classes, too. All right, with that, welcome back to the Sex Work in History episode. Guest LK Bertram. Uh, she runs the at Sex Work History account on Instagram and the newer account at Social for Scholars. Yeah, let's talk about the ghosts in the strip club where I work. So, yes. so I know based on crime mapping um, and then also just living here for a decade and a half, uh, what the hotspots are in the city in terms of danger zones and historically what have been um, places of industry or violence. Uh, and downtown Portland, uh, my Club X, which I love, love the club, um, really ambivalent about the location because I love being in the heart of Portland and feeling really connected to the city, but there's a lot of poverty, struggle, and strife. And you'll see walking tours with these. Uh, this one lady. She's got like her bonnet and her lantern and she wears all black and it's really cute. But, um, you know, it's more fun to point to stuff. Just like I'm going to tell you, like, I swear there's a ghost in the strip club at X down there, which is next to the Shanghai tunnels and just all of the crime and the strife and the history. Lots of sex work down there. Um, especially in the 90s and when certain serial killers whose names are not important enough to say, but you know the names when they would hunt for sex workers. A lot of them would do it in downtown Portland. Anyway, so I just hear people talking or laughing <laughs> or crying. And I know that there's folks that live in the apartments above, but it's when I'm absolutely alone in the dressing room and it's not coming from above me. It's coming from next to me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, it's fun. It's it's definitely, you know, however much you want to believe in it. But I just talk to them. You know, if I knew their names, I would say their names. But I just talk to the ghosts. That's so nice. I like that. Yeah, there's this idea that, like, there's a French philosopher, um, and he writes about how the ghost is about power, actually. And mm. the ghost is um, someone that is fundamentally a radical figure because they live between all of these static categories. Like they're not alive and they're not dead. They're not human and they're not inhuman. Like they're always like this third kind of thing. And so mm -hmm. there's this really beautiful kind of um, power that they can have. And they also tend to um, evade uh, like normal hierarchies of power. So you know, mm. the ghost can haunt anyone, no matter what their mm -hmm. status is. And no matter what their status had been in life, like the lowest person can haunt like the most important person, and ultimately mm. have that power over them. So yeah, there's something mm. really powerful, I think, about the ghost as an embodiment of a different memory that isn't supposed to be there, um, but persists no matter what. 
I have a lot of um, gratitude to people who have gone through things much harder than I. So I know that when my sex work gets challenging, I just try to hold a lot of mental and emotional space for like all the people who came before me that kind of paved the way so that I can make my living doing this stuff. Mm. Um, and it feels very, very humbling. Mm. Um, and also that's the part about working in wild ass downtown um, <laughs> is like, <laughs> You know, like I am one of many people who have braved these streets yeah. <laughs> and I have it pretty good. I work in a safer space. I'm in a venue. What is it called? Portland Confidential is a fun little book to read about the last century of uh, intermingling between like crime and the cops and the adult industries and who was on the take. And it's pretty interesting. So. Oh my gosh. I'm getting that book immediately. That sounds amazing. Yeah, there's some fun photos in there. It's funny to see the burlesque dancers uh, being mentioned in venues that still exist or are like co-owned by like in the family of clubs where I work. Like uh, Star Theater is a really historic one, for example. Uh, look for those. Uh, Tempest Storm is a uh, burlesque. She's still alive. She's old lady. Wow. But she probably has cool stories. I bet. Uh, she's mentioned in there. Yeah. So let's do listener questions because obviously Ooh. we could just talk forever about this stuff. All right. So listener question one, what are some examples of sex work or erotic labor being held in higher regard or permitted even? Oh yeah. Lots, lots and lots. I mean, I think uh, the best way to explain that is to, um, say this word which is demimond it's an old word it's a word that was um created by an author named alexandre dumafi and he was um a french and haitian of haitian descent author who basically saw the way that french elite sex workers were being treated and just thought it was like disgusting like that they were these super powerful women um, but that they were basically treated like crap as soon as they sort of fell from favor or got sick or something like that. So he, hmm. yeah, he wrote this like really beautiful book called Le Demimonde. And then later um, this book called uh, Camille, which is like now a famous opera. Anyway, so how do you spell that? That's a great example. Uh, Camille, just C-A-M-I-L-L-E. Oh, okay. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's so famous that like you've probably seen songs from the opera and wow. like images from it all over but no one really remembers or a few people in North America remember the original book hmm. but uh anyway sorry I'm digressing <laughs> so the demi monde is like the place in between the in-between world and there are these queens of the demi monde that you know they're incredibly wealthy and incredibly powerful but they never are really in quote-unquote respectable society hmm. and so those women were all over Europe and North America and the world, but um, they can be really hard to find because they had to hide their identities, especially after they left the trade. Often they married into really wealthy families. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's a lot of actually um, some of the biggest American families, like the biggest names, you know, they had sex workers marry into their families and they would just kind of do this aggressive PR campaign to try to hide who that was. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so you have these really powerhouse brothels um, in North America where that was certainly the case. But um, yeah, we tend to focus on those women 
but there's also these other women that were like political leaders and revolutionaries mm. who sometimes achieved the same amount of material wealth, but usually not. And so uh, they're really cool too, but they haven't really been acknowledged in history. Queens of the in-between world. I really like that. Uh, okay. So can you think of some names to throw? Yeah. Us? I mean, um, there's this kind of crisis in, North America with all of these, uh, like around 1907 to 1910, hmm. where all of these white male heirs to these American corporate family fortunes were dying in body houses because they were like big partiers. And oh my God. Yeah. And so this is actually, some people say that the reason they cracked down on red light districts Whoa. and kind of closed up all the North American red light, red light districts was because too many of these sons died. Um, in these houses one of them getting lit opium yeah (laughs) another sometimes they were murdered by the workers and not murdered but killed in self-defense right for Um, sure they would get too um too aggressive weird that rich clients could have entitlement and act aggressive yeah i'm (laughs) weird eh? weird eh? uh oi i'm sorry i interrupted you one of them died from what uh well the heir to the marshall fields fortune like the marshall fields department store fortune Mm -hmm. he died uh he was shot by a worker um and then they kind of covered it up as a hunting accident um but in his house (laughs) it's like oh my god very unconvincing uh cover up and then um oh my god gosh so many other ones i could name them they're all on my instagram i did like a whole thread on okay it's called the playboy killers and it's just lists of all of these american playboys that died in body houses Um, literally body houses okay (laughs) body Body. houses (laughs) okay all right so speaking of clients um listener question two Do you see that it could get safer for us consumers to approach and ask without getting arrested? We're going to make some assumptions here that this person lives in North America and they mean to pay for sex Mm -hmm. or something similar. Mm -hmm. There's so many tricks, um, historical tricks that people use, no pun intended, um, to do that. And yeah, just like all kinds of arrangements um, and things like that where yeah, they would figure out ways to exchange money um, without being able to get caught for it. So stuff like, I know there was a famous burlesque dancer um, and kind of one of the early adult film stars, and she would accept payment in Ford Motor Company stock. Um, A lot of other women did a lot of trade in jewels um, and jewelry. So stuff like, Hmm. you know, it's a gift. Like they would agree on different things. It's a gift, yeah. right? And that I think that gift thing was like a really big thing that was used. I think that that's time. still a thing that people do on like payment processing apps. Like it's a gift. Wink, wink. It's Market a it's a gift. Is gift. <laughs> it's <laughs> um that's showbiz. Yeah. Baby. And... Okay. <laughs> uh, Our tips, right? right? Like, right. but yeah, I think. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot there. There's a lot of these old mm-hmm. um, kind of like strategies there. And it's so nice sometimes posting on the account. I'll post something from like 120 years ago and people will be like, we still do oh, that. Yes. Like, yeah, that. the thing about um, serving drinks. Fake um, drinks. And like having a, yeah, fake <laughs> drinks. And then like you have your, your stir stick or whatever that's a certain color. Mm. 
um, stuff like that. That's like from a hundred and hundred and forty. Like to tell ago. that it's not um, drugged or booze or yeah, or that there's no mm-hmm. booze in it. Like if you mm-hmm. have to kind of be drinking drinks mm-hmm. all night, um, but you can't afford to mm-hmm. get them. It's just like mm-hmm. But it's just not sustainable to do that five nights a week <laughs> for years. It's no. not, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So definitely options for payment. Um, the question is, do you see that it could get safer for us to approach and ask? N- not unless you support decriminalization because the way laws are going at the federal level and then state by state lately has been really, really scary. There's a crackdown on mm-hmm. gay stuff and freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. And that relates to sex work and porn. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's really hard. Mm-hmm. I'm gay, and and I, you know, another re- reason I do this work is because mm-hmm. I know that I owe a lot of my civil rights to sex workers, and so this is like my attempt to sort of pay back some. Mm-hmm. Of that. I like that, but um, yeah, and the I gotta say, like the the legal landscape, like I don't want to be alarmist, but looking at you know how North American history has sort of changed over time. This this time does sort of smack of 1910, mm-hmm. this ridiculous kind of like moral crusade um, that wasn't reflective actually of the way that most people thought mm-hmm. um, or felt. It was these a small amount of people that were basically saying we're going to define what people are allowed to do and mm-hmm. what is right. But it doesn't. Yeah, most people are like way beyond that. You mentioned Comstock laws earlier, and that was what mm-hmm. around what year? 1873 the comstock laws happened okay interesting Mm -hmm. so that was after the civil war uh so no more nudie pictures for the soldiers um (laughs) and that was basically that was like a crackdown on what you could send through the mail right and that included nudity yeah so for us it would basically be like a censorship of the internet Um, Ooh. so yeah like foster so their mail was our is our internet basically that's the the um yeah the equivalent And so it was things, it wasn't just pornography. It was also information about birth control was one of their main targets. They were trying Mm -hmm. to get, trying to stop women from learning about how to use birth control. And uh, yeah, so it was basically a general attempt to aggressively regulate the sexuality of North Americans. Mm -hmm. And women could buy birth control, I believe, in some pharmaceutical spaces until that crackdown started like you could buy a lot of shit from the catalog and the grocery store right until right so yeah again what we're seeing like a century later is it really reminds me of like prohibition of alcohol you know like that would never happen these days but they tried that and they tried that relating to a lot of these other vice things and it was like white slavery scares and you see that with or i see that with these anti-porn organizations that try to fearmonger people where they're like porn is bad for you you know like sex outside of marriage or relationship is bad for you is with the message they're peddling and it's all because of control yeah it's all because of control and i think like the big lesson of this 19 this like era of crackdown that we're reliving right now mm-hmm. is that um, these people actually are a small minority, but they have they're, they uh, they're really good at amplifying their message and creating the illusion mm. that they represent popular opinion. And you know, you bring social media into this, which is basically like the most powerful propaganda machine mm-hmm. in human history. 
and um, they are using, I mean, there's no, there's no doubt that mm -hmm. the rise of Instagram, Facebook and TikTok, well, mostly Instagram and Facebook are directly responsible or, for the over, overturning of Roe v. Wade mm. because there's been this ability to target um, legislators by these like small organizations that have big money Mm -hmm. And yeah, they can create the illusion that everybody wants that law passed. There's every, you know, this is such a big issue, blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah. It's not the way people feel. Okay. So um, my quick comment to that is like, I see that lately in Oregon, there is a New York based group called World Without Exploitation, which sounds like a really nice name. They are anti-sex work and anti-decriminalization of sex work, and they are pro-Nordic model, which means pro-arresting oh. clients. And they started moving into Oregon just this year to make a big stink because they heard that people in Oregon want decriminalization. I mean, uh, there was polling, and at least half of Oregonians say that they don't think it should be criminalized, um, and one in five Oregonians said that they know a sex worker, at least to their knowledge. So mm -hmm. it was really interesting, this outside group, very well funded and by this opposition, um, is definitely doing propaganda messaging that is not reflective. So I just wanted to point that out because mm -hmm. I'm going to see more of that up here. And it's frustrating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's hard and it's why we all, and why I really like feel strongly about your work. Um, it's the reason why we all need to be training ourselves as um, disseminators of truth of fact and reality mm. because we're up against um, yeah these kinds of illusions but if we just leave it they get to dominate the public public discussion and mm -hmm. uh, it's a real yeah it can have some really damaging effects mm -hmm. so this is why we podcast yeah yeah all right so let's take another break everybody go to at sex work history on instagram if you haven't already also at social for scholars you can find me uh my journal and notes and selfies and boobs and stuff i can't post on my regular social media <laughs> i know right giggle patreon.com <laughs> forward slash strange bedfellows I am a cheap whore, so I only request a dollar a month for you to support my work there. Uh, yes, I can call myself a whore. You cannot. <laughs> That's how we take back the power. The vagina is complex. They keep it simple at Momotaro Apotheca. 100% certified organic and cruelty-free products for vulvo and vaginal irritation, momotaroapotheca.com. Use code STRIPPERWRITER for 10% off. Let me know how you like it. Did you know, I think the word whore is actually... I, I don't know any linguist that has actually really gone into this, but I saw this old reference to it that it's the past tense word in old English for to be hired. Whoa. <laughs> I yeah, have been like, whored. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm going to look that up. Ooh. I've been looking it up like in the Oxford, mm. like in all of like the modern dictionaries, mm. they have all these like weird explanations that don't seem right to me, but I saw this, um, huh actually kind of analysis of it from 1855 and they're like this is the past tense this is like a reference to being hired to do a job. that that would make sense you know i 
I read a theory that the term honky in black American language came from black sex workers who referred to their white clients that way because they would not get out of the car, but just honk the car at them. What? Oh, my gosh. So there's something for you to investigate, too, because I I read that once in a sex worker magazine that I don't have anymore, so I can't cite it. If anyone's listening. It's so dead on. It seems like it would make sense, you know? Um, so write to me, they talk sex at protonmail.com if you know the answer, or write to LK Bertram. Uh, do you prefer to be contacted on the gram? Yeah, yeah, yeah just just uh, send me a little message at Sex Work History. Awesome. Okay, so we're gonna do a yeah. couple more listener questions. We were talking about abortion and birth and pregnancy. Uh, listener question three. This is very specific, and I love that. How did Old West saloon workers avoid pregnancy? Mm-hmm. I mean, really, that is like such a, an important question. I've heard a lot of different things. Um, they're all pretty, like, they're going to sound pretty rough. Um, but this is the evidence that I have found. So number one, they they were educated, actually, about their fertility and they knew, like, they had, like, a general sense, a better sense of their fertility than most women were allowed to have at that time. Mm. Um, and so they would often use chemical douches also. Mm. Um, and the the drug of choice was actually Lysol at that time. It's pretty rough. I know. I know. Uh, there were other ones. Um, and they were dangerous chemicals, basically. But um, they would also do like a post, like a post client douche. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like all of this sounds like so sketchy to us. But at that time, like a lot of women had, um, you know, not a lot of options. Not a shower. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> diaphragms also um, started being distributed, mm. I think, in the 1870s. Um, so that also really helped. Hmm. And, um, yeah, so they were a little like pregnancy still happened, mm-hmm. but, um, and then there's also abortion. They had abortions as well, mm-hmm. um, which were very dangerous at that time mm-hmm. and could kill you. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, mm-hmm. that's why the current political climate is so scary. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, yeah. I also want to point out, there's a lot of opportunity to get your client to finish not inside of you. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, I remember reading some journaling from a woman who started working. She remarked that they gave a lot of hand jobs. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, which makes sense. And I remember she referred to it as before each John, she, they called them Johns in it. Um, she said they would wash um, his prick with a washcloth. You got to think a lot of these guys are stinky. So that makes mm-hmm. sense to me too. Um, and none of this really sounds crass to me. Like earlier, you're like douching and diaphragms and like all of that makes sense, definitely. Um, but also what came to mind is like, just because you might be fucking at some point doesn't mean that like every client is coming inside of you, you know? Yeah. Um, people yeah. have been avoiding pregnancy is, you know, for a long time. And if you can get them to come not inside you, that's ideal. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing with sanitation is a big thing too, like, because there's a lot of problems, not just like 
STIs, not just getting pregnant. Um, but even things like at that time, it would be like tuberculosis um, and like other smallpox, like really bad diseases. And then also just like horrendous gingivitis. <laughs> oh, God. You know, like all these men that were like chewing tobacco all day. Um, and it's so funny. This one time I was looking at an old photo of the inside of a body house. And this woman had a really weird poster on the back of her wall and it's like what what the heck is that it was like a product of some kind and i looked at it, it was chewing gum and they actually would oh, make yep, them gum. And buy them yeah they'd be like you're gonna need some gum <laughs> good oh my so they god. became like gum dispensers. <laughs> oh my god another trick for that yeah. is ice water with a ton of like lemons and limes shoved in there <laughs> nice the do it yeah muddle it uh, yeah. um Wow. Okay. Okay. So listener question four. Regarding abortion rights, how was mm-hmm. abortion care accessed? Was it available to sex workers in different times or places in history? So um, at this time, the way to procure an abortion in the 1800s would likely be to go to your midwife um, who would know basically how to do it, when to do it, and how to kind of have the best outcome. Midwives became pretty outlawed and criminalized and discriminated against also around the same time, Mm -hmm. turn of the century, because they were described as, you know, uncivilized and dirty. And even though it was these doctors that were actually killing a lot of their patients and didn't know things like washing their hands. Mm -hmm. um, But that also related to racism and sexism. Yeah, these doctors that... Like some of them were so gross and awful. Um, But yeah, and you also have madams that doubled as midwives. And the article um, that I mentioned earlier, it's actually the story of a madam and a midwife. Mm. Um, It's the same person. Her name was Big Nellie Webb. Other little house. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And she shot actually a Mountie in Canada um, because he was being violent. Um, anyway, so she had, they put her in jail and then they had to let her out because someone was having a baby. (laughs) Someone was having uh, a baby. Oh, she had to help deliver a baby Yeah, (laughs) because she was in jail because just in case you missed it, she shot a violent cop who was being violent. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So then they arrested her and (sighs) had to let her out so she could bring life into the world. Hmm. Um, but, uh, anyway, so for, um, back to the question though about abortions, there were also male doctors that did abortions at this time. And usually what they would do is they would charge women just an astronomical amount of money because they knew basically whatever they could kind of come up with as a figure, women would do a lot to get that kind of money. And so there's a a pretty detailed account of a worker getting an abortion by a male doctor in this book called um, Alice. And it's the memoirs of this one worker who lived in San Francisco and worked kind of all over Western North America at the turn of the century. Mm. But yeah, it was brutal. And he Mm. had, this doctor was responsible for killing the saloon keeper's wife, basically, Ah. um, or girlfriend. Yeah, sorry. I don't know if you would, (laughs) this is like pretty grody, grody stuff. Oh, no. Yeah, we get into uh, it here. Okay, good. (laughs) So so basically what I'm hearing is that abortion care has been the access to sex work. It's been quite a variation over time and place. Yeah. It has been. And, you know, it's funny because there's a lot of different ways you can tell the story of sex work history. There's a lot of different stories in the history. Um, but I think some of the important things that we need to learn are 
just like how people prioritize safety, dignity, um, respect, and health. Like those are the stories that I think we we need so badly now mm. um, because uh, we just, you know, we keep learning the same the the wrong end of the same lesson over and over and over again like it's just mm-hmm. yeah like it's a broken record mm-hmm. so what are the lessons that we could learn yeah i think number one is that sex work is not just work it is essential work mm-hmm. um it's responsible for the creation of most cities it's responsible for the helped fund the creation of the early internet like it is a massive field and regardless of your opinions of you know should someone be get into that kind of line of work or not you can't deny that that is a field of labor um in a capitalist society that will always exist Mm -hmm. and so um like i think the emphasis has to be on um safety and support and human rights you know and it's like there shouldn't be um, people in North America that face the kinds of conditions, the kinds of danger um, that sex workers face just for going to work, you know? And mm-hmm. I just think it's such a crime because the history tells us that these are the innovators, you know, these are the women and the men that changed the world. And it's, mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. unacceptable to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can think of all um, any, well, not all of them, but I can think of many times that clients have said like, you know, seeing workers or going out or paying for touch has saved my life, you know, yeah. either from suicide or I don't know, some other kind of like derailing, <laughs> you know, emotionally, whatever that means to them. Um, yeah. And what you said earlier about the, the, uh, Le Demi Monde, you know, the queens mm-hmm. of the in-between world, like definitely I feel that way all the time. I definitely straddle uh, a different kind of existence, you know, uh, personhood because of, you know, what I've seen that I think a lot of people have not. Yeah. And that can be, that can be very, also it's like Spider-Man. It's like with great power comes great uh, responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not into Spider Man. Spider Man or RuPaul? <laughs> I don't know. They both, both look good in stretchy outfits. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So, what are your favorite sex work archives? Do you have any? Well, I just came back from uh, looking at the Missoula collection at um, the Colorado State Archives. And Fred and Joe Missoula were a couple that lived in Colorado and they grew up you know, in a state where sex workers were very much considered just to be like your neighbors and people that lived in your town and gave really good candy out at Halloween. Like they were, (laughs) you know, they're just like the great people in your town. So they had this like deep emotional connection to them and they created this giant um, archive just devoted to trying to preserve a history that was supposed to be destroyed. So you have all these people that were just like demolish red light districts, burn all the records, you know, mm-hmm. try to erase the tracks, the traces of these um, places. Mm-hmm. And the Missoulas came in and they're like, we will we'll buy any photograph album. We'll buy whatever from all these antiques dealers wow. in the 1930s. So it's barely been, it hasn't really been cataloged. It's pretty much untouched. And it's just a ton of photos of, um, like madams playing practical jokes on each other <laughs> and like 
um, some uh, accounting books, mm. personal photographs of mm-hmm. different workers and I'm an letters and stories. And yeah, that's probably my favorite. Mm. I like that. And and what is that? There's the Missoula. Yeah, it's the Missoula collection at the Colorado State Archives. And also uh, the original archive that kind of like got me, helped me sort of go down this path farther was the Winnipeg Police uh, Archives. And I don't think they've really put a lot of their stuff online, but mm. there's like a hidden um, a hidden archive that was just wild and, and has so much potential to, I think, help us look into the future. Hmm. What books or resources do you recommend to people? Oh, gosh, there's so many good books on sex work history out there and so many bad books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the, yeah. yeah, yeah. My mom yeah. got really excited about something she was telling me about. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. That's not true. That's not true. That's not true. I know what you're going to say. And it's oh. not true. It's been disproven. <laughs> I know, because there'd be all these people who'd be like, wow, you can really like write a book on sex work history and it sells like hotcakes, you know, so yeah. they'd write really shitty books. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, my favorite probably is Cynthia Blair's, or one of the most groundbreaking books I've read in the last 10 years is Cynthia Blair's I've Got to Make My Living. Mm. And it's really the story of black body house workers in Chicago at the turn of the century. Hmm. And it's so important because too often historians treat sex work history as de facto a white and European history. Mm. But there's all of these um, populations of color that came in and out of sex work economies and their histories can be really um, fascinating, but then also like really unhinges a lot of the assumptions that have been made about um resistance and survival and innovation in North American history. Hmm. And then uh, anything probably by Timothy Guilfoyle, who's one of the big sex work historians. Hmm. Um, Ruth Rosen's book, The Lost Sisterhood is still a classic. And uh, I love all the Madame memoirs. I'm just, every time I find a Madame memoir, I just like sit down and just read the shit out of that. <laughs> I want to be a Madame. I would be such a good Madame. I know. Sorry to redirect this back You'd to You'd be me. a wonderful Madame. You know, I think I would because look, I know people, okay? <laughs> I'm great at organizing. Um, I yeah. love to, to be a matchmaker and facilitator. Um, ooh, retirement plan. We decriminalize in Oregon and then I can have my little farm. Yay. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. We're doing it. Other madams did that. Other They did retirement farms, horse ranches. See, that's what I'm saying. And especially when I think about like getting older and a lot of the problems my generation is facing with like health and aging and isolation. I'm like, it would be nice to have a community, you know, like each of us mm-hmm. just learn our tasks and we take care of each other. And like, if we still want to be given HJs as old ladies, we can do that too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll have like, you know, the, the, rental areas and then the living areas we'll figure it out i'm brainstorming yeah yeah it'll be good um there's a whole history of like sex workers in old age that mm. is really beautiful and uh a lot of the i'm writing a chapter on retirement in this book that i'm working on Ooh. and um yeah it's amazing like what they how they approach retirement and what their dreams were and yeah there was like a group of madams that started a, a horse ranch retirement ranch for themselves Aww. in colorado yeah. I'm going to start a poodle farm because I Do don't know it. anything about horses. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I ask every guest this. Um, Do you have any sex tips for our audience 
although you are a historian. Oh, me, oh, my. Yeah. I mean, the best sex tip that a historian could give is like a historical sex tip. I'm imagining. I mean, theoretically. (laughs) Um, The best, I think I can give you a story about the history, a historical sex tip. Okay. So um, on Sex Work History, my Instagram, the user profile is actually a picture of a diamond brooch. And it's got the letter F on it. And so the story of that is refers to like how sex workers have really always been sexual educators in a really conscious way. Like this is how a lot of them saw the purpose of their job and many of the redeeming qualities of their job Mm. was that they were making a difference by Mm -hmm. teaching people about human sexuality in a society where that wasn't allowed. Mm -hmm. And so the story is about this madam um, who lived in Kentucky and her name was Pauline Tabor. And she ran this like really popular body house and had lots of clients. And one day this woman showed up at her doorstep and was like banging on the door and she was really upset. And she just found out that her husband was one of Pauline's clients. Mm. And so Pauline brought her into the kitchen and they sat down and they started talking to each other. And the woman just like really opened up and was like, I really love my husband. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. And she's like, well, tell me about your sex life. Like, what do you do? Mm-hmm. And Pauline was like, you know, this woman needs, this woman has been deprived of a sexual education. Like no shit. She's like not happy, you know? Mm-hmm. And so she said, you know what, if you, um, uh, if you want to come here, like every whatever, like Monday night, in the month of October, I'll give you lessons Mm. and you can kind of change your marriage. And so Mm. this woman did it and she totally like it changed her life. Mm. Um, And so Pauline got this beautiful package in the mail and it was a diamond brooch from this woman. And this woman was just, she was like, you changed my life. And so that's kind of the story of um, this brooch and then of like sex workers giving those sex tips and how much it matters. Aww, I love that. And honestly, it is, it feels like harm reduction. And I don't do this as much because I'm not a full service provider. So I am so rarely having sex with my clients. I'm doing sexual things quite often. Mm -hmm. So I don't have the experience and the impact that full service workers do. Like I've done full service. I say I'm a dabbler, but I want to give full credit where it deserved. So, but as like a stripper or a cuddler, um, or even sometimes doing porn, like I've had people tell me that showing their partner how I touch myself or how my partners have touched me has been instrumental in them mimicking something else that actually worked for them or showed pacing. Um, or yeah, I had a, I had a lesbian thruple in, uh, two shifts ago and it was such a bonding heart opening experience because the, the married lesbian couple, um, were treating their girlfriend in the thruple and that was to time with me. And then they were going to witness it for a little bit too. And it's like, why would you want to criminalize that? This is beautiful. Yeah, honestly, like, it's just like, man, alive. it's so ridiculous, but, uh, yeah, that's great work that you're doing and yeah, it changes people's lives. And great work that you're doing. Thank you so much, LK Bertram, for being here. This is one of my favorite episodes to record. Truly. Yeah. People find her at Sex Work History, at Social for Scholars on Instagram. Find me, lstanger.com or stripperwriter.com. I am on Twitter at lstanger. 
and find my porn on camsoda.com forward slash stripper writer. I think I can sneak that one in there. Cool. Um, I will see you on the internet. Thank you so much for your work. Oh, thank you. Mm -hmm. Until next time. Lots of us know to grab a towel when we're on our period for period sex, but what if you could just get the layer? Try getthelayer.com because it's not just a sex blanket. It's great for not ruining sheets, bedding, furniture, whether you're on your period, whether you're a squirter, whether you're just trying to be polite. It's black. It's discreet. You can get 10% off when you getthelayer.com and use the code L-E-L-L-E all caps, my name. Try it out. Let me know how you like it. It is my travel companion. Getthelayer.com.